podcast for those who suffer, which is everyone. It's a space where we can speak honestly about what it feels like to be in desolate places without losing hope. Welcome to In the Thicket. Hello, everybody. Hi, Father. Hi, Aaron. <laughs> Hello. Hello. We're so happy to have you, Father John. Yes, we have Father John as our guest today, Father John Hodgins, and he um, is a, chap- a hospital chaplain, um, mm-hmm. and he's going to share some of his experience and wisdom with us about the work that he does. Um, but especially this is another episode in our euthanasia series over Lent, Father. And we are, um, of course, discussing Bill C-7 and some of the implications of that um, and how you how how those laws have impacted your work, you know, to date um, mm-hmm. and how, you know, what you think sort of moving forward, some of those changes might, uh, might bring for, for people that you walk with. So, but before we get into all of that, um, you know, uh, how are you doing father? What's your, <laughs> what's your week been like? Um, how's life for you right now? Been a strange week in, in some ways. Um, and then the usual, uh, hospital calls, but I did yesterday, and I'm still uh, in a little bit of pain from it. But I'm very happy because I had the uh, COVID-19 uh, vaccination yesterday. Oh, Yay. that's great, Father! Which makes your arm hurt, and okay. I'm a little achy than than I usually am. I'm going to be in my 70th year, so it, you're always a little achy in the morning. But I was quite achy today. Right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but what they say is, and this is really important, if you have some reaction, that's good because it shows your body is adapt- adapting to the vaccination and, and using the antibodies or whatever they are. Yes, I don't know yeah. the proper term. They're yeah. fighting in there. And I can feel it. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. My mom had uh, her first and second because she works in support for some long-term care homes. Uh, And the second one for her was like, the first one was like, okay. But the second one, she was pretty, she still worked. So it didn't knock her out. So don't be afraid. (laughs) But, but the, but it definitely, um, yeah, it, it makes you like, you know, tired and sore and whatever, but you are exactly right. That is showing that your body is, yeah, yeah, doing what it's supposed to do. Yeah. I've heard that a number of people that the second one is the one that knocks you off your, your rocker. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. And maybe, um, do you want to share with us, uh, just because it'll be interesting for some people who are listening, um, you are a priest of the Anglican Ordinariate. So mm. what does that mean? Yeah. Well, it's it's technically the Ordinariate of the Chair of St. Peter. Right. Uh, the term Anglican, because it can be confusing for people, is not used in any of the formal documents or the, uh, the books that, uh, of prayer that we use. Right. Although... We are, many of us, uh, from an Anglican background. So I was for 30 years an Anglican priest, but uh, when I was ordained, so I'm going on eight years ago now, uh, I was ordained uh, into the, the fullness of the Catholic Church uh, in full communion with the Holy Father. So I am a Catholic, uh, but I'm also married, like many of our Ukrainian brothers and uh, sisters, they're, they're, they're married uh, clergy. Mm-hmm. 
of the Eastern Rite. But we're the only ones in the West, so far as I know, mm-hmm. who regularly are dispensed from the vow of, of, of uh, celibacy mm-hmm. to, uh, to be ordained. So uh, one can be ordained, and many, many have been over the years, of course, uh, in the East, and some in the West on individual cases uh, as married people. Uh, but of course, the the uh, the rest of uh, our particular journey uh, involves people who have been Anglicans and see themselves as bringing the Anglican tradition back into full communion uh, with Rome. Right. So we see this as the as the healing um, mm-hmm. of the Western schism, mm-hmm. and so it's a very important. Although we're small in numbers. Uh, it's a very important sign for the whole church that those disagreements and those problems of the past can be healed and we can come back into full communion, which we believe is the Lord's call to us, that they all may be one. Mm-hmm. So that's, that may not be too coherent for a lot of people, but that's sort of a brief uh, statement of it. We have a number of churches in Canada of the ordinariate, and they use Anglican liturgies, which would be recognizable to anyone who who knows the Anglican Book of Common Prayer and the music. We have the lovely music of the Anglican tradition, uh, but we are the first of the, we think, many who will eventually come back into union with Rome. Mm-hmm. And I have the, there's um like a lot of people who I know who have been to some of the liturgies and said like it, that it's beautiful, you know, like it's just like, there's so much beauty in the, in the music and in the, you know, the form and in the, yeah, which is awesome. We might have to have you back father to get the whole like fleshed out story. Cause that's such a cool um, journey and quite recent. Cause you said it only, Eight years ago, or, or eight eight years, did you yes, say? Yes. Well, the, the this uh, this ordinary is uh, because there's one in England, of course, in, in the British Isles, I should say, because it's England, uh, Scotland, and Wales, uh, and then there's another in Australia, which includes, <laughs> if you can imagine, Japan and the islands uh, of the of the uh, Southeast uh, Pacific. So, uh, although we're we're spread out very thinly, uh, it it is a it is a group of of communities which really which come from the term and I won't go into this for too long, but comes from the term Anglicanorum Chaetibus, which is the Latin document, which is actually a uh, a uh, dogmatic constitution of the church. So as one young man who's very keen about this said to me, he said, you know, that's that is a constitution for the ages because it's it's an official document of Rome, and it'll be there in 200 years if there are any others wanting to come into communion by this path. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's quite a significant thing, and people are discovering it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Beautiful. So beautiful. Sorry, that was an interlude. I'll turn it back over to you, Rachel. <laughs> no, that's that's so cool. And um, yeah, and I mean, our podcast is about suffering, Father, but part of the journey of suffering is healing, right? Like healing and, 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 um, and in a spiritual sense, reconciliation, of course, um, with the Lord and with each other. And so that's, you know, it's sort of in a, in a beautiful way, kind of fits into our whole ethos, I think, um, of what we want to talk about, but 
today we specifically want to um, kind of uh, turn attention to your ministry and and how the Lord has um, been working through you, um, you know, to serve people who are who are ill and who are suffering in various ways in, in hospitals as a chaplain. So, um, can you share with us, Father, how you kind of got into that ministry and and what it generally looks like? What what does your ministry kind of maybe day to day look like? Well, I, I'm a chaplain for the Archdiocese of Toronto, uh, and that is because uh, when we started the little ordinariate parish, of course, there was no money. Uh, so one way that I can pay the rent and, and eat is to work uh, with the Archdiocese. So they've been very generous in offering me a position uh, as an on-call chaplain. So I'm on call. Uh, it could be for any of the downtown hospitals, but uh, uh, normally when we're all functioning and well, uh, my focus is on Sick Children's Hospital, mm. and then across the street at the Princess Margaret, the Cancer Hospital, uh, mm. and then Toronto Western, which is a large general hospital. So I'm on call there um, from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., uh, five days a week, and then on Sunday I'm uh, also, of course, uh, celebrating a Mass for well, it, it, for the chapel when it's open at the hospital, mm-hmm. and also for the uh, ordinary community, which is the parish of St. Thomas More, of mm-hmm. course, uh, naturally, with uh, the English allusion. So mm-hmm. I'm, I kind of have a foot in both worlds, and uh, I'm, uh, of course, I'm pushing 70 now, so I don't know how long I can maintain all that, but I, I do yeah. find it very fulfilling at both ends both the, uh, the parish life and the chaplaincy work. Right. Um, have you found, Father, in your... So you, you mentioned those three hospitals that you, you know, before, maybe before COVID, and now it's a bit more involved and there's some other some other responsibilities being shared. But um, what has what has your experience been like working with people with terminal illnesses or, or um, chronic illnesses that involve a lot of uh, challenges and, and suffering and, and sort of me- thinking about dying, you know, um, have you done a lot of work with people uh, facing those kinds of circumstances? Well, I, I would say it's hard to give a number, of course, mm-hmm. but uh, every week I am uh, with families and anointing those who are, are very ill or dying uh, and, uh, so yes, I see it every day practically. And, uh, you, you really, certain things start to strike you after a while. Um, I'm only called for Catholics, of course, because it's a sacramental ministry that we're, that we do. They, they have spiritual care people in every hospital and they basically, uh, as I like to think of it, grease the wheels for, for whoever is, uh, is looking for spiritual direction. So if you're a Hindu, they will contact a Hindu. If you're a Catholic, they will contact me or one of the other priests. So we come in. It's good in this sense that you know what you're there for. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're there to to pray with Catholics, to anoint them with the sacrament of reconciliation, to hear their confession. People often say to me, um, oh, well, what do you do with the last rites? Or they call me in and say, she wants the last rites. Well, sometimes the person has actually died, and we have to explain that we, you know, the sacraments are for the living, 
and uh, of course, you, you you're very sympathetic with people at that time. So we have prayers for them, and uh, I use holy water to to sanctify the space. Uh, but we really encourage people if you're sick, if you're seriously sick, or or you know unsure. Oh, because there's somebody on call 24 hours a day, and uh, we will anoint you. We will pray with you. We'll answer questions if you have them, and the family as well. So it, it's a it's a very uh, focused ministry in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, too often we're called when the family is in distress and the patient is unconscious. Mm-hmm. So as I say to them, they say, "We want the last rites." I say, "Well, the the last rites." are actually the last rites that you have, you know. And if, if they're open to it, I explain that if a person has, say, Holy Communion mm-hmm. and goes out the door of the church and is knocked over by a car and dies, they're going to, that's that's their last rites. Right, yeah. The last right. rites specifically are confession, Holy Communion, and anointing with the sacrament of of the uh, sick, right. and and so if a person is conscious, and this I'm very happy when this happens, we have an opportunity to have a confession. We clear the family out of the room, of course. <laughs> of course. Uh, but, you know, we have we have confession, uh, and and then we have holy communion. Uh, currently, that's a little more problematic with mm-hmm. the way things are, but we do. And then the anointing uh, follows, and that's the those are in the church's mind, the full rights of the church. No, the person may get better. And I sometimes meet people afterwards who've recovered. So they thought that those were their last rights, but they weren't. They got better and came back. So last rights is a little confusing because if you get better, you can have them again. (laughs) You know, get sick again, and uh, hopefully, you know, people live longer uh, they might have them several times. Mm. Yeah. So that, that's a sort of sketchy uh, overview of, of what I do, but uh, it, it is very significant in the sense in which people receive these sacraments. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing, and I've seen it a number of times, where people are really full of faith and they accept the sacraments as the natural a part of their their passing, and they go in peace. Mm-hmm. I've also seen, of course, people who are terribly afraid, and uh, families overly overwrought, uh, and they call the priest at the last moment. <laughs> I I laugh because sometimes they see you coming down the hall. I heard one fellow talking to his friend, and as I went by with the clericals on, I heard heard him say. Now that's something you don't want to see coming to your room. <laughs> oh no! Oh dear! It, it is actually for many people. It is what they want to see, and they're delighted yeah. to see you, and very happy that you've come. Mm-hmm. But you know, people react in different ways. Uh, men often run out of the room, and the women who are stronger stay and and stay with the person. Not everyone. I I, I should generalize, but. Yeah. Uh, you, you often do see how things break. You know, people that are filled with faith uh, continue in that faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Has what surprised you, Father, about these encounters? Has anything surprised you? I guess is something it stuck with you um, with these encounters of people in their last moments, really. 
Well, I'm I'm often surprised. I mean, maybe it's a lack of imagination that I have, but uh, <laughs> I'm often surprised uh, what people will say to you, uh, both good and bad. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I think of uh, one one situation where uh, there was a young fellow. He was in sick children's hospital. He was, I think, he was 15, so he was just you know young enough to be there, and. Uh, I thought he was unconscious, and I was talking to his mother. And, of course, we're always careful around patients because they often do hear you, even if you think they're unconscious mm-hmm. or they are unconscious and come back and they've heard things. Mm-hmm. So you have to be very careful. But I, I, I found that the mother wanted to talk, and she wanted to, to pray. She had her rosary there. She was praying the rosary regularly. And and so we had some prayers, and then she told me about the long journey he'd had from the time he was five with these numerous surgeries, and this time it was cancer, um, mm-hmm. after all the other things that he'd, he'd struggled with. Uh, it was cancer, and he was on fairly high doses of, of uh, medication, and we thought he was unconscious. And when we finished talking, he just smiled and said, thank you. And I thought, oh, what a thing to be able to say thank you in his situation. Mm. You know, having gone through everything he had, he was thankful, and he he had fit, real faith. Mm-hmm, he, he had yeah. pr- been praying along with us quietly. So, oh, wow, that that totally surprised me. I practically had to hold on to the door going out. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, that's so moving, yeah. Father. I mean. It reminds me actually of um, Blessed Carlo Acutis um, and his young guy, you know, and um, dying so early. But like the faith that he had and, you know, creating websites about Eucharistic miracles. Like if anybody's listening, then, you know, go check out Blessed Carlo Acutis. Like he's... um, yeah, just an amazing example. But but even it makes me think like, because I'm sure that you've probably seen such variation in people's responses to suffering and to death. And, you know, which is a, like, that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do this podcast is even to look at um, the hope that can be experienced in suffering, you know, through Christ and through his redemption of suffering that we can participate in that, you know? So I'm just wondering if you, yeah, like what you've kind of seen of that or how you found that, that, that kind of possibility of hope in suffering? Has that made a difference to people or where you've seen it absent or what that's like? Well, in the same case that I was speaking about, the the mother's faith was very profound and we talked afterwards Mm -hmm. and she had a a deep grasp of of the reality that uh, his suffering was doing something for his family and for his wider connection with the world. She didn't know what it was, mm. but she she realized that he was offering this up. And I know people often say, "Oh, don't don't tell me about that." And there's too much pain, and, and uh, you know, offering up your suffering is is too much. But not for them. And I, of course, I rarely bring that up in the context. But when the p- mother does, or the parents do, or the patient does then we can talk about that. We did talk about it. And uh, in the end, she asked me to, to bless another rosary because she was giving it to her daughter. Uh, and and uh, the family had 
such strong faith in the worst circumstances. I mean, this was really the number of things that he'd gone through. I forget the number of surgeries. I think it was something like 12 that he'd undergone. So it's uh, it's quite inspiring. At the same time, you, you sort of pray, I do anyway, that uh, I'll have the strength to meet whatever I have to meet. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's the inspiration for people. Mm-hmm. Think of another instance. There is a, a young, uh, this is a, about a family, uh, young, he looked young to me, uh, Down syndrome man. Uh, I suppose he was in his 20s. Mm-hmm. And I, I had, he's now deceased, but I had a Down syndrome cousin and have always been interested in in Down syndrome people. Mm-hmm. And uh, this boy, I call him a boy from my perspective, <laughs> uh, had, as Down's people often do, uh, numerous medical problems. But the family had been very supportive. And I realized when I got into the room that they, just before he died, I guess the day before, all of the brothers and sisters and related you know, wives and, and some of the older children were all there. And I realized he was the hub of the family. Mm-hmm. They all, and they would take turns holding him and stroking him. And, and uh, this was just very very powerful uh, expression of their faith and his. He knew all the prayers. You know, he he was Down syndrome, but he he had a great memory for certain things. And he he would repeat, of course, the Our Father, the Hail Mary, and and other prayers. The you know he he had a Marian. The family had a Marian devotion. So, Salve uh, Regina was was said in Latin. Um, wow! And uh, yeah, so the, it was very inspiring to see how this this little person—he wasn't a, a very small physically—had a mm. tremendous spiritual connection with his family and others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so. I mean, I'm tearing up a little bit. I, I don't know, Erin. <laughs> no, me too. <laughs> um, just listening to these these couple of stories that you've shared with us, Father, because. And I think it's just striking me as, as I'm having that kind of emotional reaction um, that we, you know, we want to dismiss the places of suffering and places of, of um, cha- like challenge where, where we're, we face seemingly insurmountable challenges, but it's really those places that there, there's so, there's this like kernel of inspiration that just cuts to the heart, you know, and it's, 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 you, you recognize even when you're hearing it, like we are from, uh, in a removed context that it's so powerful. Like there's so much, um, there's the, the reality of God's love for us and the reality of who we really are becomes just kind of rises to the surface, you know, in those situations in such a powerful way. Mm -hmm. Um, sort of caution that, you know, there is not to glorify suffering, but that in the midst of suffering, there is there are these gifts that we really can't find in other places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering what that looks like in terms of, um, like if we're going to talk about made specifically, you know, and the, the presence now of, you know, medical assistance and dying that's, that's available to people. I'm wondering if you've seen kind of a, a shift of people talking about that or like kind of how that's affected your, your ministry. Well, uh, it's quite 
in a funny way, inspirational because we do. I remember there was a, a woman in one of the hospitals. Actually, it wasn't one of my regular beats. I was filling in for another uh, chaplain, and without giving names or the name of the hospital, um, there was a, a woman who was, she'd been told she had terminal cancer. Uh, she uh, was a very angry person. And she was giving the nurses the runaround. Oh my gosh, I felt for those those nurses. And uh, of course, her language was not the best. <laughs> and uh, I think she was laying it on a little heavier just because I was there. She's mad at God, and uh, she had no living relatives. She had she was there totally alone. And uh, the palliative care team came into the, the connection. And the, the, they're, if they're not saints, they're, they're on the way. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and they made a connection with her and talked her down. She basically, and this is, goes back a few years before Maid, because under Maid, she'd have been gone probably within mm-hmm. days, certainly. But they, they encouraged her to go into palliative care, and there's a whole floor uh, in certain hospitals for this, and to work with the team. And the thing about palliative care is their commitment to life is total. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they will, will do anything, and they, they do, to maintain the level of, of uh, care that's necessary and pain control. Mm-hmm. But they never, at least in my experience, and I'm fortunate that I don't, you know, they don't contact me when they're mm. thinking about maid um, in the hospital. But the palliative care, which is the alternative, is extremely powerful. And this woman, actually, so far as I could tell, had a, a positive experience of the last few weeks of her life because mm-hmm. of this team wow. and because of their commitment to do no harm, which is the first principle of, of care medical and, and I, I would say all care that's uh, being mm-hmm. offered in the hospitals, that, that they are, are totally committed to helping this person live as long as they are given to live and not mm-hmm. to make or to, to put them through the process of having to consider, well, when will I die? How will I die? Who's going to do it? What, what's, it what's it going to uh, cost? You know, all of these things that come into the the very very problematic mm-hmm. uh, notions that that made is b- built on, and now I see they're they're even in extreme cases with with mental illness uh, able to without a, even proper consent to basically euthanize people at will. Uh, it, I mean that's in the most extreme cases, but that's what seems to be happening under this current uh, law. So. Mm-hmm. Um, the answer to MAID and to euthanasia is palliative care mm-hmm. and hospices. And they do a wonderful, wonderful job. I've seen it time after time. Mm-hmm. They make life really meaningful uh, for, for, the, for people who are dying. Because we're all going to die. It's just yeah. a question of how meaningful those final days can be. And listen, if we can inoculate the entire population of the country, we can deal with people who are dying uh, in a better way. Yes. <laughs> that is totally uh, 
Yes. I know. Amen. That's another contradiction that I, we've been talking about some contradictions in our, in our cultural buy-in, you know, um, like we have, we were talking about how Bell Let's Talk is a, is a mental health awareness month all about trying to work for suicide prevention. And, and that's such a huge initiative, but then we have this whole thing made thing that's saying like, well, but if you want to die, we can make that an, an option. And then, and then you're bringing up right now the vaccines and COVID father, and just, you know, there's such a, there's such a, like, let's all stay home so we can protect our most vulnerable, you know, this is the messaging that we're getting. And then on the other hand, but let's offer death on demand so that I, it's just yeah. discombobulating. It's not, that is a it word. Is. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the devil is the father of confusion, mm. and he's, he's he's really doing a number at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I and it's interesting even to talk about palliative care because we we spoke with uh, the episode that that um, is coming out. For we're speaking to you now, and so this episode will already be out when people are listening. But mm-hmm. um, the episode with um, Dr. David D'Souza, he's a palliative care physician like he does that and he talks about the fear that he's seen people experience like the fear and the pain and the you know all of those things that people cite as reasons a lot of times like much more so than just you know like I I I I want to die because I you know like it's often related to fear or the you know not wanting to be a burden or not or thinking that their pain can't be controlled or wanting to have control over this thing that feels so very nebulous, you know, but he talked about how palliative care addresses all those things when it, when it is done well, you know? Um, Yes. So I wonder about that too, like in your experience with people, um, even maybe not even with those who are dying, but those who are experiencing like chronic, you know, illness who, who would now be eligible for Mm -hmm. made, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, what it's like, like, have you had any uh, experiences of, talking about those things with people like fear and, you know, suffering and, you know, pain and those kind of things? Yes. Yeah. I, I can think of a number of instances where, uh, there was a young, he was quite young, um, and, uh, was a practicing Catholic, uh, from a good family, you know, a caring, loving family. And, uh, he, he wanted to discuss why, would God allow this to happen? Mm. He wasn't angry about it. I, I'm sure he'd had his periods of anger, but he he was really trying to figure out what this could mean. Because he wanted meaning in his life, I think, as much as anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we we discussed at some length the, the various things that lead people to to give up. Right. Uh, I remember him saying. You know, I'm, I'm considering, you know, just giving up. I've had enough treatment. I don't want to come back here, meaning the hospital. Mm. And uh, he was looking for for reasons. And so we, we talked. I don't know that we looted anything, but we had a, a number of con- several conversations uh, about it. And uh, as far as I know, he was from out of the city, and he went back to back home. But uh, as far as I know, he uh, continued to to live his life with the family, and uh, you know what conclusions he came to. I'm not entirely sure, but he did. I know he uh, received communion, and he continued in his faith. And uh, of course, we say faith, 
in these instances, people really have to put their faith in something other than themselves mm-hmm. uh, in order to achieve some some measure of comfort. And I think he did. I think he was on the way way to that as much as any of us get an opportunity to. Yeah. He was a very mature young man. Uh, you know, suffering had made him uh, thoughtful. And, um, you know, it wasn't, wasn't so much his, uh, his, his faith, I must say, uh, as his, the way in which he was living. He was actually mm. living the faith, I would say. Mm. That was impressive to me. Not that we came up with any earth-shattering conclusions, but uh, it was walking the walk of faith. Yeah. Um, I, I've experienced... He's asking questions, you know, asking hard questions. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but that is the time that, that you know, hard questions become real, I think, like when we are facing those kinds of moments. Like it's not just hard questions aren't no longer in your head and conceptual thoughts, like they're, they're your everyday, you know? And I think, um, I was just going to say, I've had experiences with, with friends and family who have been, you know, have fought cancer and, and, and major illnesses like that. And it's always been a really interesting experience to pray with them as a friend or a family member. It's like, we've prayed together before, but all of a sudden it's like, we're, you know, the Lord is in front of us. Like, it's just a different kind of, um, urgency and not just urgency. That's the wrong word. I, I think I want to say presence. Like there's a different kind of presence in that I've even experienced in with people that I know. And so, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just imagining how much, you know, how much of that you might, mu- you must experience just because of the nature of those, um, those encounters. Yeah. That's a lot yeah, of questions I, I, I have too. Like, how has that changed? Like, how has that changed your heart? You know, like, which is a good thing for us to think about, like when we encounter those who are profoundly suffering or whatever, like it, it has an effect on us as well. Yeah. Well, to, to be very honest, um, you know, it, sometimes it's, it's really troublesome, especially with, with children who are dying in sick kids hospital. Uh, and it's not even so much for them, you feel, it's for the parents. Mm-hmm. Because children, being children, they accept things as they come. You know, if they're in pain, they're really in pain. They're, and the, But then afterwards, you know, you often see them just laughing and joking. And uh, once they've gotten mm-hmm. through that stage, they're not worrying about what's down the road, as the parents often are. So those those are instances where I really think people are, are in need of, and I'm thinking of the parents of those who walk with them, uh, which are often family members, but all, often also good friends or spiritual friends. Uh, and, you know, people want a priest at, for sacramental things. And, and, of course, we do more than that. But the, the sacraments are important uh, in, the, in the certain stages. But in between... Uh, and I think again of palliative care and uh, care of those who are very ill. Uh, there, there's that sense of, as you said, uh, I think it was uh, presence. Uh, what what we can bring to people is a listening ear, because when they want to talk, and, and I'm speaking of patients and mm. and parents, mm. when they want to talk about things of faith, they need to be listened to. 
not given answers necessarily um, or at all. They just need, need really, and you've heard this many times, everyone needs to be heard. They need to be listened to. And so if, if it's the right time and they want to uh, speak, and that, that can be a very healing moment for them, uh, even if it doesn't change the outcome. It's, it's an opportunity for them to express who they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just, we're, we're getting near to the end of our, of our episode with you, father, which is such a shame because we could, I could ask you so many questions. I think there's so much to be learned from, from, uh, just what you have to share. Um, but I, I am thinking about that woman you mentioned, um, who was very angry and, and, you know, and then had this experience of palliative care and, and what you said about the impact of, of the boy with down syndrome. And just, just basically this question of the impact that people have on others just by being, and just by, you know, just by their lives, no matter, regardless of their, their achievements or what they can accomplish, things like that. Um, and, and yeah, I'm just thinking that that woman had a meaningful, you were talking about a search for me, a meaningful last two weeks of her life, which she would have gone without, you know, um, if made was an option, let's say at that time, and she had decided to take it. Um, and in some sense, just how, what a tragedy that would have been, even though I don't, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to say that we would want someone's suffering to be prolonged, but just that experience of meaningfulness, um, that their life matters and mm. a kind of peace that can come even in the midst of suffering. And we don't want, we don't want people to lose those opportunities to experience that in their lives, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been saying at the end of each of this episodes in the series, you know, if you, if you're out there and you're listening, especially if you're Canadian, please think of, of what God may be calling you to do. Um, if it's, you know, some political action of writing your MP or calling them or, um, just speaking, even speaking to friends and family about this legislation and telling them, you know, the importance of, of, uh, of doing something about it, if you've already done something. Um, and then, like you said, Father, being, being there, being present to those in our lives who need us, who are on these very difficult journeys and paths and, and are not meant to do it alone. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking, because we talk a lot about kind of what we can do, but maybe it's also even good, like if somebody is listening to this and they're encountering profound suffering right Mm -hmm. now, just to say that, just to say that it's like, it really is the suffering people around us who draw out love. Like our vocation is to love, right? I mean, this is for you, father, like all of the suffering people that you encounter, they draw out love. Like there is a purpose to that, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, they draw out Christ's love for others, for them in, in you and for, you know, for all of the people that you encounter. And it's the same thing with us. I mean, I'm sure we can all think of people in our lives who have suffered and who we have responded to in, in love. Like there is a movement of God in that, you know? So it's, it's not a thing to be taken lightly or, or to waste in a sense, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this, the end of our episode, Father, we do something that we call God, we call God winks. And essentially they are, and so feel free if if you don't have one, Father, that's okay. You don't have to share one, but if you do, please, please tell us. And essentially they're experiences that we've had of the Lord just kind of breaking through our day, 
you know, um, speaking to us in some way that we, we understand in our own kind of, you know, our own context, our own life lives. So maybe Erin, you can, you can start off with your God wink. Sure. I can go with a God link. So, um, so I, uh, my, it was my uh, nephew's fifth birthday this past Thursday. And so my sister sent a picture of the cake that she made for him because he requested a Thomas the Train cake, like a rainbow colored on the inside, but he, he wanted this year James, which is a red train. And so she made this cake anyways. And it's totally like one of those things where you see this beautiful cake online and then somebody's attempt at it. And it just says, nailed it, you know, but it's like the, anyways, so there's this, I'll I'll put a picture of it on social media, but it's like, it's so awesome. It's really awesome. The beautiful part. It's train-ish. It is. It's train-ish. Yeah. Yeah. But (laughs) the part that I love about that though, is he doesn't even care. Like (laughs) it's, isn't that the way, like you're talking about little kids and how they are. I'm like, he just is so, cause it's red and it's like (laughs) roughly in the shape and his mom made it for him. And it's, you know, his birthday cake. So he just accepts this as a beautiful gift. Uh, even though, you know, the, the patisserie, uh, chefs among us might be (laughs) cringing a little inside. So I, it was just like a reminder for me of like how, good God is so much with my nephew just reminds me about like my own relationship with God, the father, you know, it's like this constant filter. So that was a, that was a good thing. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. Do you have a God wink father that you'd like to share with us? Well, this one goes back a few years again, but, uh, uh, a mother and father. And, uh, I was called up because they had a very sick child, uh, who was only, uh, I guess at that point, three months old, and she had a a very difficult heart condition that there was no treatment for, Mm. Uh, but there were experimental things being done. At any rate, um, I was called in that things got turned badly. They they had a connection with their parish, but things turned quite badly, and they wanted this little one, we'll call her Maria, to be baptized. So I baptized the baby. And some weeks later, she seemed to really be picking up, putting on a little weight and so on. Uh, And this went through the summer and the parents were there every day, every day, every day. And uh, I don't think I ever went into the room when there wasn't one of them there, you know. Uh, And I kind of, you follow certain cases, you know, you can't visit everyone, but certain ones you, you follow. So I was following... And without making this too long, um, in the fall, the baby had a a surgery and did not recover. Mm. And this, uh, we were friends by this time, I would say, the parents and I, and uh, this was a very difficult thing. But anyway, so time goes by. Christmas Day, we always have the Mass at Sick Kids at 9 a.m., not this year because, you know, mm, right. but, uh, yeah, but every year, who do I see there Christmas morning, but this family, they were there to support the other parents. Mm, wow. But, and that, that was pretty good. But the kicker was they then applied for adoption and, uh, it took some time, you know, it's a very complicated process now. It took some time 
and they weren't sure if they were going to get a baby and so on. Anyway, the adoption came through, and what did they get? They got twins, too. Oh, wow. That's so beautiful. It was a real God wink, double wink. <laughs> that's right. A double wink. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. beautiful. That's I a know. beautiful story. How about you, Rachel? <laughs> just process It's hard to top that story. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not gonna. I'm just not gonna. But I, um, yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. My my God wink. Um, it's it's been an interesting week for me. I, I have a friend who's a close family member passed away, elderly um, family member, and we just kind of got into a conversation about. Um, yeah, kind of what I was mentioning before, like the impact that people can have, no matter what their kind of um, a, a capacity to, con- in quotes, you know, contribute, I guess, to our society. Is. And uh, we were just sharing, like, and I was thinking back to one of my grandparents who had Alzheimer's and other people that I know who who kind of have dementia. And then you were saying, Aaron, how suffering draws out love, just like the beauty of the fidelity of family members in those situations. Um, and we were just reflecting on that after um, someone passes away who who has had dementia or, or um, you know, various forms of this kind of mental illness, you feel their absence, even though in some way you mourned the the loss of their personality and their ability to communicate with you before you feel their absence because they they their presence did something in your life with your family with your you know their 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 being here even without their personality as it used to be mm-hmm. made a difference and it just struck me just how we were having this conversation it struck me how true that is you know um and I'll just give one example of that that I saw when I was in my undergrad. I was volunteering at a um, a nursing home and there was a woman there who had dementia in her 60s, I think, or or actually late 50s. She was very young and and, and it was like total on like a full onset. So she had no um, capacity for memory. She didn't know anyone. And her husband, so she had to be in the home because of the kind of care that she needed. And her husband would be there every day. I mean, I think he had retired at this point and he would just go every single day and spend the day with her. And she didn't even know who he was at this point because she couldn't, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, he, like everyone in the nursing home knew who they were. And even as as high school students or university students, we sort of knew, because it was just so striking to see this love between these spouses that was such a you know, was really of the kingdom of God. Like it was a different kind of love because there was no ability to communicate with between them. And yeah, and I, I haven't thought about that woman in a long time, but this conversation with my friend made me think of her and just, yeah, her, whenever she passed or it would will pass away, that there will be a huge absence in her husband's life um, and even in that home and the witness of that love. So mm. yeah, just how we take for granted that people's lives do or don't have meaning and they can really have much more meaning than we, yeah. we could even imagine, I think. Yep. So that's my yeah. God wink. Beautiful. <sighs> well, thank you so much for joining us today, Father. It's thank nice you, to Father. see your face. And I, do. <laughs> I don't see many faces at Newman Center now because they're, you know, shut down pretty much. They aren't shut yeah. down. They're still doing good things, but the doors yeah. aren't always open and I'm not there that much. 
but uh, yeah, it was great, great to see you, Erin. Yeah, nice to <laughs> and nice to meet you, Father. And great. Um, yeah. And, you know, please, we ask all of our listeners to pray for your ministry, pray Mm -hmm. pray for hospital chaplaincy as a ministry, especially as we go into this new, who knows, kind of regulation time. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and pray for hope and, and yeah. And allow the Lord to use you however, however he wants to, to share that hope with everyone else. All right. God bless everybody. See you next week. Talk to you next week. Okay. Thank you for joining us for this episode of In the Thicket. If you like what you hear, give us a rating and hit that subscribe button. We have new episodes every Monday with more stories and honest conversations about life when the going gets rough and the hope and humor amidst it all. We'd love for you to join our community on Instagram and Facebook at In the Thicket Podcast. While you're there, let us know how we can pray for you. God bless and see you next week.